Good evening and welcome to our Evensong service here at Second Congregational Church of Greenwich. I'm Reverend Sean Guerin and uh, today we're going to continue our series in Genesis uh, and I'm going to start by talking about the world's largest pool party uh, which was hosted by none other than God himself as we look at the story of in Genesis chapter 6, Noah and the Flood. Uh, I hope you were able to read Genesis chapters 5 through 10 this week. If you are a new listener, you may have missed it, but we are going through the Bible from the beginning, and last week we looked at Genesis chapters 1 through 5. In this series, we're acting like newcomers to the Bible. We're forgetting what we have learned growing up because we were not taught to read the Bible like any other book. We have been taught that the Bible is the word of God, likely by parents who may or may not have read the Bible themselves, um, and they too were taught that it was the word of God. And that is how we approach this book as a religious people. I believe it is a spiritual book that we can draw from, but I also believe that it's filled with many parables and riddles that are not easily discerned. And growing up, you may not have been aware that there is more going on in the story than what's on the surface. Listen how Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, about the nature of understanding God's word. He writes, Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You see, there is a secret and hidden wisdom underneath these Bible stories. When we read Genesis chapters 5 through 10, the story of Noah and the flood, as modern people, we cannot take the story seriously for a number of reasons. One, There's no evidence in history that the earth was entirely flooded thousands of years ago. Also, the authors of the story didn't know about the whole earth. What they saw was the whole earth to them, but they didn't have a map of the earth. They didn't have news reports to tell them that other parts of the world had been flooded. They didn't have an understanding of the world as a whole. As far as we know, Noah may have experienced a flood, but if he saw everything around him underwater, he would have just assumed that the whole earth is flooded. Another reason the story can't be taken at face value is that we know human beings all didn't come from one person, Noah. We we know that all the animals on the earth couldn't have come only from the, uh, the, the ones that fit in the ark. All those pictures we have been shown with animals lining up to enter the ark, this is just a children's story. It cannot have possibly happened realistically like that. We know better, and so what do we do with the story? That's the problem. It's in our book. If it is of no use to us as a historical fact, then do we get rid of it? Can the Bible itself be trusted if it's telling such fantastic stories? The scientific age we live in mocks the Bible as it cannot give us an accurate account of the beginning of humanity, 
Let me tell you something. The Bible is not a historical book. It's a spiritual book filled with, like Paul just told us, secret and hidden wisdom. Now, Sean, you'll say, that's hard to swallow. Are you telling me that these stories that I grew up with, that we all grew up with, are not meant to be taken literally, but rather allegorically? Yes. Yes, I am. But not just me. Paul tells the church in Galatia the same thing when he writes them in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Listen to this story. It's in Genesis that is often ta- was always taken literally from so Paul's going to tell you how to read this so in Genesis there's a story for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman one the child of slaves was born according to the flesh the other the child of the free woman was born of the promise now this is an allegory Paul writes. These women are two covenants. In Genesis chapter 16, you can read the story of Abraham. Remember Abraham had two wives, Sarah and Hagar, and how he had children from them. You can read it as a literal historical account, or you can read it as Paul tells us it should be read, as an allegory. An allegory is a method of reading a text that understands the characters, narrative, and elements as speaking about an entirely different reality. Talk about something you didn't learn in Sunday school. But Paul again to the Corinthians writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. What he's saying here is that he could only give them the surface story of the Bible, but that he wanted to give them the secret and hidden wisdom of the Bible, the message that speaks about the spiritual things, the eternal things. And again, in Hebrews, we read the same thing. In, chapters five, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, he says, you need milk. You know, I have a baby, so I know this very clearly. I want to give him. I want to give him some steak. My wife has to stop me. I said, you know, you, you, all you could do is just drink this milk. <laughs> but Paul says the same thing to the church. He goes, you need milk, not solid food. He wants to give them solid food, but he, they're only ready for milk. He says, for everyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. So to get past the biblical stories we've grown up with, we have to be mature. We have to understand that when read correctly, when read spiritually, the story we thought we knew of those little paintings of all the animals going into the ark That is not what the story's saying. That's a children's story. But when you read it spiritually, the story we thought we knew was actually saying something completely different. This can sometimes be offensive. And so you can sense the frustration. Paul wants to tell them something new, but they're not ready for it. 
He wants to feed their souls and not just their, you know, their flesh with some hopeful message. He wants to give them the truth about what's going on. So to understand the Bible just on the surface is to be like an infant who just drinks milk. But for us to grow up in our faith, for the Bible to be relevant in the modern day, we must understand it's, that it's more than just a book of history, more than just cute Bible stories. It's a spiritual book of wisdom that has within it allegorical stories, parables, that speak to the nature of the spiritual realities that are happening alongside our physical reality. You want to know this because, as Paul writes, outwardly, we and everything around us is wasting away. But inwardly, we're being renewed. We're being made new. Because you want to be prepared for what's going to happen when this life is over. So what happens when we apply a mature reading, a spiritual reading, to this children's fairy tale that we grew up with? In Genesis, you know, had us read Genesis chapters 5 through 10, but the main story is Noah and the flood. What happens when we apply a mature reading to this? The story will change dramatically, dramatically, without the chains of your religious upbringing holding you down. You likely know the base, every, and you, who, know, who doesn't know the story of Noah? Who doesn't have a, a set of those toys given to their kids or, or seen them. You likely know the gist, but remembering what we read last week, we read Genesis 1 through 5, and we saw something very different because I said, let's look at it in a fresh new way. We saw last week in the Garden of Eden a God who's not happy with human beings. In the Garden, human beings got cursed by who? By God. They got kicked out of the Garden by who? By God. They got blocked by, from eternal life by who? By God. And now again, just six chapters later, just a few chapters later, you know, this sounds like me growing up. Already in trouble right away. Human beings are in trouble with God. But let us see why. Now we're going to look at the text itself. I'll read it along, but you should check on me. And you know, even Ashley, when I read this, she was, it says that there? So go back and read it, because you're going to read things that you didn't read, see before, because now we're growing up. We read in Genesis chapter 6, this is what it says, word for word. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. Let me read that again. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans, daughters of men, were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Now, did you catch that before? It says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. It says that the sons of God married the daughters of humans. It then says 
This is why we, when you're reading, sometimes you kind of check out because there's parts you don't understand. That's what I'm here for. It then says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. It is saying that these beings, and scholars have had a hard time translating that word Nephilim, but it comes out to be something like fallen giants or fallen angels. What is interesting is that they had been around on the earth for a while, the text said. They existed before the Garden of Eden story and also afterwards, after the flood that killed everything. How could they exist after the flood? I thought everything was wiped out except for Noah and his family and the animals. But it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. These were the heroes of old, warriors of renown. I thought the earth had only existed for just a short time. We just started Genesis. How could they have been the heroes of old, men of renown? I bet you didn't pause to read that in Sunday school. So this was the problem in Genesis chapter 6. This is what God got mad at. That the sons of God, God's sons, the Nephilim, these fallen giants, fallen angels, started marrying the daughters of humans and having children with them. This was the issue in Genesis chapter 6. I know for sure you're going to have to go back and read this to see if I'm kidding or not. But this is what it says. And from this comes the judgment from God. Here's the next part in the Genesis story. Verse 5. We're only in verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race. How did all of a sudden humans get so out of control? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe out everything, birds, animals, the human, whole human race, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, to clarify, this is, get, this is going to get wild right now. Now, to clarify, to show that these sons of God were the Nephilim, the, the, the angels that we're talking about in Genesis, we need to turn to Job, the book of Job. Do you remember when the devil came to Job and said, can I tempt Job? This, this is what it says. In Job, we read about the, them in chapter 1, verse 6. It says, one day, the heavenly beings. Now, there's a little letter A where it says heavenly beings in my Bible. And under, in small, in the little notes, it says sons of God. One day, the heavenly beings, also translated in Hebrew as sons of God, listen to who's, who's hanging out with the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, so here the Lord is talking to the sons of God. Satan just happens to be one of them. (laughs) 
And he says, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth. Where does Satan hang out? On the earth. Where are humans? On the earth. And from walking up and down on it. We know that Satan is the one who comes and always causes trouble for people, tempting them into all sorts of evil. And so here we have the full story. It is that angels, the sons of God, in some way entered into the daughters of human beings and corrupted them and their children, leading them into violent and dysfunctional living. This is why God gives the verdict that all he sees is that the wickedness of humankind is so great in the earth that every inclination of their hearts was evil all the time. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. It was God's angels, God's sons. Remember when it, in Genesis it says, let us make humankind in our image? This was talking about the heavenly council around God, God's other spiritual children, his sons, his angels, who had seen the beauty of human beings and were jealous that God made something and loved them more than they loved them. So they wanted to corrupt humanity. And why did God allow this? Why did God create such wicked creatures? Where was he when this was happening? We are learning that there were other actors in God's court, angels, God's sons, who were corrupt and envied the beauty of human beings. That there were dark angels who were at work in the garden, leading human beings away from God. You see, before humanity existed, a heavenly host of angels existed. And there are stories in the Bible probably that you've never even noticed, that tell us something went wrong in the garden. It was as if God created human beings, placed angels in charge of them, and then the angels turned against God and led, them, led human beings astray. Listen to this passage from Ezekiel chapter 28. Get ready. Here's what Ezekiel says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared for you. You were anointed as a guardian angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. He's talking about angels. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence Remember what the charge was, why God wanted to kill everybody in Genesis? Was that all there was was violence on their mind. And this passage is saying that that came from the angels. It says, and you sinned. 
So I drove you in disgrace, says God, from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, guardian angel, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary, so I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. God is furious with the angels, for he placed them over human beings to watch over them, but instead they corrupted them. His own sons, his own angels turned against the creation he loved. But there was one person he saved from the flood. You know his name? Noah. Why Noah? Well, it says he was a righteous man, but there's another reason. Noah was not a son of these angels. He was a son of Adam, a son of man. If you read Genesis chapter 5, remember that, the chronology that nobody wants to read? Well, I read that, and here's why it's important. Because if you go from Noah, this is his lineage. Go back from Noah's dad, Lamech, to the Methuselah, to Enoch, who walked with God, to Jared, to Mahalel, to Kenan, to Enosh, you will land on the son who replaced Abel, the one who Cain killed, and his name is Seth. Remember that name. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, it says, When Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Seth was not the son of these angels. He was an original son of God. He was the son of of man, man made in the image of God, man not corrupted by fallen angels, but a righteous son of Adam who would eventually bring forth the man we know as Noah. And this is important. Because if you turn to Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament, When you read Jesus' lineage, it says that Jesus descended from Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. The story of Noah and the flood is an allegory of what happened in the spiritual realm. It's not necessarily a historical, real historical event. It portrays an allegory of the conflict in the heavens in that God seemed to have lost control of his angels who then came and corrupted humanity. It tells the story of a God who is angry with what he has made because his angels, his son and uh, his sons and humanity always seemed to choose to live a way that was not what God intended. But God did not want death for us, fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, and the like, but that somewhere along the way, forces came in and brought these things into the story and into our world. And God saves Noah as a prefigured image of the son 
that was always faithful, righteous, a son of God who wanted to save humanity from these dark powers. The Gospel of John tells us that there was a son that existed in the beginning. A son who would come make all things right. Who would come and tell human beings the truth about what is going on. That son was Jesus Christ. God's only true son. Of all the other sons, this was the good one who loved and cared for humanity so much that he came down to tell us about the false gods, the false religions, and the false angels who deceived us. Paul writes in Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly realms. Why is there darkness in this world? Why is there brokenness in this world? Why is there evil in the world? It's because just like our world has corruption and brokenness in it, the realms above us do too. Only truth can set us free. When we turn to Jesus and live as he did, as a person who knew where to find God, not outside, inside of yourself, that God was in other people, then we could begin to work out the demons that haunt our lives with all sorts of neuroses. When we turn to Jesus, when we become his disciple, when we begin to live simply and less materially, then we begin to step into the light of our true spiritual selves. This is fading away. This is going away. This isn't the real you. But that's what the angels tried to convince us, that this was everything. When we gather as a church, a church filled with people who have decided to follow the ways of Jesus, we then become an institution that serves as a sanctuary for all those who have lost their way to God. And we can love and accept anyone who comes to us looking for a way back to healing, a way back to joy, and a way back to the Father of the light from which we all came. Amen. Now, Ellie isn't here. That's, it's always, it's like good news and bad news. Church is going to end early today. <laughs> but I hope that was an interesting message, at least. <laughs> uh, a different way of looking at the Bible. You know, I think, I think the Bible was... Uh, useful for a long time for people. They didn't have a full understanding of the way the world works. But for the Christians, for the Greeks who really took Christianity on, they were thinking already. They were technological, just like us. They were, when they picked up these books, they said, oh my gosh, this book is saying something deeper than what it is on the surface. And did you know that they were used to doing that? Plato, the allegory of the cave, Socrates, they were used to looking at texts and studying them in unique ways. So for the Greeks, do you know what Paul was? Greek. When he got this, he said, oh my goodness. That's why he went further than all of the fishermen. He, remember, he, didn't even, he wasn't even one of the original disciples. 
they could only see Jesus through a Jewish lens, through the lens of religion. And how many times did Jesus get frustrated with them? But when Paul got this, remember he used to persecute them? When he really got it, he saw under the surface. And he saw Jesus without even having to see him physically. He saw him spiritually. His eyes were open. Remember he was blinded? That's an allegory of how he was blind before. And then he was able to see. And that's why this is important for me to study. Because if we keep reading the Bible, literally, you're going to grow out of that. But if we start to look at it and go, what is this saying? Sean, are you telling me that there's forces that distract me? Yeah, I don't even need angels or demons to prove that to you. You're telling me that there's lies I've been told that I've accepted about myself? You're telling me that I'm more than just a physical mortal that I'm going to live forever? Yes. But there's, remember Jesus always spoke in parables because he said, how can I explain to you something you can't imagine? So he told a story, a myth, a a metaphor, because if you ponder it, if you meditate on it, you go, oh. You know when you tell your kids, it's going to be like this. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what these stories, that's why we have to look at them in a deeper way. And that gives us more freedom. You know, this is my interpretation, but you might have a different interpretation. But I'm going to check and see if you know all the, all the little, did you check your references, your notes? <laughs> so before we leave, uh, I'm going to say a prayer. So if you could close your eyes. And I've been doing this, you know, sometimes I never want to put my phone down. I just want to keep looking at it all the time. And that's exactly what prayer is. It's kind of just shutting everything. Put your phone down. Be quiet for a second. Stop listening to the noise. This is meditation and prayer. Just shutting out the noise. Got assignments to do, kids to take care of, work to do, this, that. See, the the myth we heard today, the story we heard today, is symbolic of how we forget who we are. And how forces, all of these things, come in and try to, they're like static noise. And they make us panicked and worried and aggressive and angry and frustrated. You ever yell at somebody and you go, oh, what came over me? Didn't want to do that. And you regret it. Because that's not you. But we've been conditioned this way. So every once in a while, that's why prayer, Jesus actually said, don't pray for a long time. Just just be quiet. Be still and know. That's, That's a passage from the Bible. Still and know. Wait on the Lord. God lives within us. And there's good angels out there. And the Bible says sometimes you entertain them unaware. So if you ever need help, ask. 
I talk to Michael all the time. <laughs> Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you, Emma, up there for live streaming. Hope it worked. <laughs> and go in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See you next week.